1: on RTE Radio 1
0: And today's guest sharing the stories behind their musical memories is a legend of County Meath a herbalist and best known I suppose throughout the land as the trainer of so many successful Meath teams for a remarkable 23 years Sean Boylan, it's a pleasure to chat to you and what an extraordinary and full life you've led Your story goes back, your dad was a very interesting man, tell us about him it's ironic, Des. A hundred years ago, he was chairman of Meath County Board. He
1: was chairman of Sinn Fein in Meath. He was chairman <laughs> of so many things. He was a very interesting man. He was born in 1880. A very sort of um, they would do anything just to have freedom. They would do anything to have the right to rule yourself. Um, and he was embedded in that from his grandfather, his father, uh, his brothers and sisters, his sister Mary Jane, and his mother. And um, he had an extraordinarily interesting life. Um, I could trace lots of things, very interesting things, back to when he would have first met Sean McDermott. It was after a match in Retolta in 1908, the Sunday before Dubois played a senior hurling final against Kilmesson. Wow. And that was his first meeting with Sean McDermott afterwards. That was the IRB. And it went on from there. And um, he was an extraordinary man in that he was a very private man um, and yet was very strong. I remember a certain gentleman talking about his, his, um, the military archives and the truth that was in everything that he ever wrote. But the reason was, when the military archives people came here, when he was getting on in years, in the in the 50s, um, he had everybody from the neighbourhood around who were involved, both pro-treaty, anti-treaty, they were all there. And that's the way it was. And um, uh, so, in other words, that there was no, we did this or we did that. This is the way it was. Mm. And it, it was a beautiful way to be read because... We would have known so little about it because he was so much older than my mother. He was 28 years older. Um, we came along in the twilight of his career. And um, it was just, there were six of us, like five sisters. Josephine, Pauling, Gemma, Philo, Frances and myself, right? Mm-hmm. The mother was, she was a great woman. But he was, he was an extraordinary man, extraordinarily brave man. He, he, he fought in 1916, did he? That's right, yeah. Um, my niece Kate was born in 1968 and I'm outside um, Duffles Barn Church at the lights there, going to the Coombe to see her and Daddy's Swippy. He's 88 years of age. And he starts to smile. And I said, what are you smiling at? Uh, he said, um, I was just thinking, he said, I was a confession there. Easter Saturday, 1916. I said, that's a long way. I said, what were you doing? Th- what were you doing there? I was bringing a load of hay to, to Smithfield. I said, it's a long way from Royal to Smithfield. But it turned out that there was a meeting in McNeill's house. The rising was on, the rising was off. And um, oh, we went to see my niece, Catherine, who was born. Then we went home and went through Smithfield, as we always did. And he told me he brought a load of coal home that day on the bogey. Three years later, he died at his funeral. A man called Jimmy Kelly from Dunboy, and God be good to them all. He said, your dad gave me a lift home from Handlands Corner on Easter Saturday, 1916. I said, it was after a break my leg. It was at the Richmond Hospital. And he said, I was up at Handel's Corner. I was bet. He said, I was on the old crutches. I could go no further. And your father arrived at it with a load of coal, and he put me up on top of it and brought them home. So that was the sort of life you and things you would have heard about him. Came across a lovely letter two years ago from Sean Collins in Drauda. They were going through Donald Hannigan's um, papers up in, up in Dundalk. He was O.C. Eastern Command. Uh, the first, uh, first Eastern. Daddy was second Eastern. And um, when they first met, he had to write a letter in 1948 recommending it for, for a pension. He said, I first met Donald Hannigan in, on the 31st of March 1916 in Paulic Pierce's house in St Andrews, in Rathfarnham. Mm. And we were both made combatants. And, so, and that was, our life was full of that days. But if you met him, he'd never be talking about it only unless some of his colleagues were around or his friends. And I remember one time Owen Harris asking me back six years ago, why would Miss De Valera not talk about the period 1915 23 at that time, John Ranlough, who was, who was doing it, it was a history, Robert Key's history of, of Ireland, he came to me having spoken with, you know, Mr. for three hours. And Daddy was still alive at the time. And he asked me to talk with him because he had Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Evelair wouldn't talk about the period 1523. Uh, Owen Harris asked me, why would he not talk? I said, because they were all members of the IRB. And through take and thin, through civil war and everything else, those IRB men, Republican Brotherhood men, they always stayed loyal to each other, whether it was pro or anti or whatever it was, which was an extraordinary story. And that was the life I was sort of brought up with.
0: And were you a mollycoddled little boy with all those sisters? I minded minded them, Des. (laughs) (laughs) Did you?
1: You couldn't spoil me if you tried, to be quite honest with you. I was just, I was happy out. And um, uh, I loved home. I loved my mum, loved my my dad. And uh, when I was 16 and a half, I went to an agricultural college. And uh, I was there for... Almost a year, and uh, I rang home one night. My dad answered the phone, and I suddenly he realised he was much older than I thought he was. You know, apart from being a general in the army and everything else, he was a great herbalist, and he was a fourth generation. And I just rang home, and he wasn't good. And I thought about things to study for three quarters of an hour. I rang back and said, "Listen, I'm coming home to give you a hand for a few days." And that was at the beginning of June of 1961. And I still haven't left, so I'm still bad on time <laughs> desk. <death.
0: laughs> So you've a few exams yeah. to go back. I and learned finish. more in
1: the next eleven years with which was this extraordinary. Great journey, great journey.
0: Well, that that was an extraordinary time. Now, amidst all this journey in life, you became the Meads football manager. That yeah. hugely successful time that followed for Meads people a glorious era for Meads people. And your first musical yes, choice, yeah. we'll we'll come back to how it started. But your first musical choice came days after. Your first massive success?
1: Yeah, it was on the Thursday afterwards in in eighty seven. Anybody who knows me very well, one of my dearest friends in the world is Brush Shields and Margaret and um, all <clears throat> Jude and Maffold, all the lads that we always in around here. They used to go to the training sessions and so on. They were doing a recording, and um, it was at the back of the old Lansdown Road. We all went in. So when I say we all went in, David Beggy, Jinxie, Marky, Mick Magali, Bob O'Malley. All, so many of the lads who were on the team, Bernie, and um, you, know, you were there in the company of John Brady, of Brushing the lads, and a few weeks earlier, Pete and John was out here with Bren talking about it and so on, you know, the, who, wrote, who wrote The fields of Athens and Roy and so on. And uh, it was an extraordinary, we all sing it, giving it everything we had. I suppose it was the fact that you, know, you had had success, which I haven't had for a long time, at that time in Mead. 17% of the population of Ireland were unemployed and 23% of the population of Meath. So we were the richest people in the world with we the Sam McGuire. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And we went in there and that fields of Athenry version that Brush Shees recorded at that time. Um, and he, fer- he acknowledged us, uh, us on it as well. And, and like we were crowded at Drake's where well, some of the lads were really good and Bobby <laughs> and Jinxie and Mocky and Mick McGaulay and so on. But the rest of us were useless. But we were there with the crowd and we loved it. And um, it lifted the heart of so many people so many times not just here but in Europe and in the, all over the world during the, at the World Cup as well
0: Could, because as you say a lot of people think it's a really old song but it was only written by Pete St John back then
1: that's right the extraordinary beautiful man wonderful man
0: Pete St John
1: Des's Island Discs on RTE
0: Radio 1 that's the Fields of Athenripe by Bruce Shields the choice of today's guest Sean Boylan me the legend so it was almost by accident you became Mead manager. Not by accident, but you weren't expecting to become the football Absolutely
1: manager. Absolutely true. Um, I loved football, but I was mad about hurling. And I was fortunate to play for 21 years for Mead hurlers and uh, loved every single bit of it. But what happened was, Des Ferguson asked me one time just to go in. There were a few injuries, right? So yeah. I was in yeah. helping out as well and things like that. And with, you know, with make him with Des yeah. and so on. But that's my my profession. That's what I do, and then afterwards, um, I was nominated, and uh, I thought it was I had finished with the hurlers, and I thought it was a joke um, when I was nominated. I didn't realise it was for the footballers at all, and I said, "Look, um, I'll take it for three months." That was it.
0: <laughs> but what extraordinary times! I mean, for the count. I mean, you talk to Meads people now, and they. They long for those day It was it was the success and the joy it brought to the whole county. Were you conscious of that at the time? It
1: was very interesting. From the very first night I met the lads, I knew there was something there. And then in 1985, which is a couple of years later, uh, we've been hammered in the championship by Leash. And I arrived in home one night. My mum, God be good, was alive, and Jerry Mack and Colum, and Jerry Lines, Park Lines, um, and Liam Hayes were in the kitchen with my mother. And they were drinking tea and eating brown bread. And you wouldn't see them with my mother smoking. I didn't know they were coming <laughs> to the house at all. We had the crack with the last day. She said, now you crowd, go up the house there now and sort this out. Right? Yeah. And we sat down and talked about where we had come from. Where we thought we might go to. And Porrig Line said to me, he said, Sean, will you do me a favour? He said, will you put your shyness in your arse pocket? I said, are you serious, Porrig? He said, I am. And from then on, every meeting we ever had, the chairs were down the, round a the circle. We cleared the air. We had the windscreen as clear as we could. It was that combination of the players were very involved, the clubs were very involved, the county board were brilliant. I was just sort of there carrying the bags and everything else, but it was an extraordinary time. And, um, and we had great people, we had a great medical squad. You know what I mean? Like with Jack and we had Owen afterwards, and old Clark, Jack Finn, old Clark. We had Mocky, he would seem to go on forever, and Ann Burton. But the people that were involved, sort of driving the teams and so on, we were all as one. And it was just a a beautiful unit. But were were you shy in the early days? Very, very. If you were brought up in the house that I was brought up in, you know, little boys would be seen not heard. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. And I would have been a really good listener. And um, I would have been shy about saying exactly what I felt. And um, some of the boys said that changed. (laughs) Rocky said after the one that uh, got the promotion to Division 1, in 1983, he said, if he's around long enough, we we'll would make a manager out of him. <laughs> so I suppose I have to thank Rocky for an awful lot. But they were tough and very focused, weren't they? Incredibly, like, it, it sounds mad nowadays because when you look at this training that's done nowadays, but these lads were so physically strong. The first three or four months, every night, everything was, was training sessions. Uh, of the training sessions were was to do with stretching. And that stretching and stretching, the youth called me Yuriov. But they were so physically strong. And then as things changed, as work, work changed and different lads came in, different lifestyles, then you had to adapt to that as well, which we, we weren't afraid to do.
0: There were some great rivalries with Cork, with Dublin. Meath and Dublin, right through the years, you had that rivalry, hadn't you?
1: Well, to this day, um, the lads would always say that the matches against Dublin were the ones that counted more than anything else. It, it, it sort of indicated who you were. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. And the rivalry was so intense. Uh, afterwards, the friendships were amazing and still are with those lads.
0: Ironically, one of the most famous matches you were involved with in wasn't one of the many finals, but a first round, du- yourselves in Dublin, and the four games it yeah. took to decide it, that. A
1: uh, preliminary round to play Wicklow. And this was extraordinary because <clears throat> the Irish soccer team were after doing so well uh, the year before, 1990. We, were beaten, we won the league in 1990, first four-quarter league. The All Ireland Final by Cork, and um, I remember talking to Jack Finn, our team doctor, in November of that year, of, of 1990, and saying, "Jack, a lot of the lads are a lot of miles in the clock. I have to change the training." We went and we got buoyancy aids from Glen Water in 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 in, uh, in Florida, all right, and um, uh, Sonia Sullivan and Jerry O'Reilly, two wonderful runners, they got the gear for us, and we bought 27 of them, and we did the training in water over the winter months just to, to get the energy back in and so on. And everybody thought we were mental at the time, but you're looking, to, sometimes you have to do that. But I always remember Jack Finn saying, the doctor saying, Sean, we're in the 90s now, you have to change, you have to get on with whatever it has to be done. And it it really stood to us because until three weeks before that first round, we'd done all the training in water. And it was a, it was a risk we took and we barely survived sort of the first couple of matches, the third match that probably should have been beaten in. Probably three of the four, <laughs> and yet that resilience was there and that energy was there. And I suppose at the time because videos were new, there was no more Dubliner could know about us or we could know about them. So at the end of the day, it came down to the indefinable thing, the stroke of genius or whatever it was. And Kevin Foley provided that with a score that he had never done before, never done afterwards. <laughs> he got an
0: amazing goal. Yeah, it's great. Great memories. Now, One thing you managed to do through your involvement was you travelled a lot. Now, Argentina is your choice, perhaps unusually, for your second musical selection.
1: Yeah. I was going to a world medicinal plant conference out in Mendoza and um, really look forward to it and see the people who worked with me. They came with me. Mendoza is four and a half hours from Buenos Aires, but it was just an extraordinary adventure for us going there. And uh, we got there and it's an oasis. And... um, it was an extraordinary conference because you had the top sort of people from all over the world there. And it was my, I don't know, the fourth or fifth meeting of it. But it was different in Argentina because there was a warmth and there was a friendliness. And it was just extraordinary. And it just, uh, everybody came down a pace. That's the best way of putting it, you know. Mm-hmm. On the second day they were there, there was a trip to a farm, which was 300 miles away in a bus to look at some herbs. And I said to the people who were with me, "Look, I said, do you mind if we do something different?" And I brought them up into the Andes, and uh, there was a place that you could do some white water rafting, and we did that, and it really re- reinvigorated us because it was an awful journey of the way out. So on the second last day, um, there was another trip, and I hadn't told them that we were going back up again, and we went up with the gauchos, and we went up on horseback, yeah. and we went up three thousand feet. It was extraordinary because see the people had never been on a horse or a pony before yeah. but the way they've picked their way on the shale and everything else and the gauchos feeding us and they cooking in the little the little crevices in the rocks it was an amazing experience and then coming back down was nearly more difficult but how sure the ponies were that evening there was um oh uh, there was a big well we would say you know session but it was uh, a big argentinian session and um I fell in love with the, with the tango music and so on. And you know sometimes you can forget about it a little bit? Mm-hmm. And I went to see a film uh, called The Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. And he was an army officer who had been injured and went blind. He may have lost his sight. He never lost his agility. But the music brought him to a different level. And to that sense, the woman was the tango. And I just absolutely love that music, Des. It just lifts my heart every time I hear it. Dez's Island Discs on RTE Radio
0: 1. That's the choice of today's guest, Sean Boylan. And Sean, throughout it all, you, you've had huge success in your business as a herbalist, and you're one of the most famous GA managers of all time. But family is so important to you. I know that uh, down through the years, both your yeah. parents and your own children. And your final musical choice is family related as well.
1: Yeah, uh, last uh, January 12 months, uh, for New Year's night or New Year's day, Damien, one of Tina's brothers, he's married in Scotland, and um, Gillian and um, uh, one of his daughters, um, she said that she wanted to come to Ireland for New Year and her younger sister, Freya, came with her, Astrid was her name, and stayed with her granny, Mm. a most beautiful girl, and um, Astrid then, uh, after it was all over, they went back at the ferry back and a few days later, God bless her, Going to give a talk in, in the Glasgow University on some work that she had done as a student out in Uganda. They were they were doing a, an irrigation project and uh, also also doing recycling to help to make themselves sufficient. And uh, she was giving a talk to the international group because she was she was just finishing her masters herself before she take up a job at Fender out in Arizona. And lo and behold, God Almighty bless her. From nowhere, a car came and hit her and killed her stone dead. And uh, posthumously, she was honoured in the university and so on for her work and the extraordinary work. And um, I suppose um, in Tina's family, you know, my wife's family, um, her mother, Mal, and, you know, George was dead. And she has Tina's four brothers and four sisters. Damien, an extraordinary man, an extraordinarily good man and great family and just... Out of the blue, this happens. And your world just stops. Mm. A bit like, you know the way with this COVID at the moment, you can see nothing, you can hear nothing. And it's just, there's something out there. Well, this, as a, from our family point of view, it was terrible to see losing her dad a few years ago, but this was his biggest shock, if not bigger shock, than, than anyone ever experienced. And I suppose one of the things there's that, um, during the course of our funeral, um we went into the church. and It was absolutely jam-packed, huge church. And um, my own Shawnee, he was playing the Christy Sh- Shield on Shield. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, playing and singing, we didn't realise it was him because you couldn't see him, yeah. but it was. Afterwards, we were talking, we had a small session in our house as well. But one of the songs that she loved, absolutely loved, was Caledonia. She was a beautiful singer and had learned to play out at Fender, out in Arizona, was about to take up a position, full-time employment that she was offered and um, her life is swept away and um, I just that's the reason I would love to play uh, this song because the last person I heard singing it live was
0: our Astrid. God bless her. It's a, it's, it's a very very sad story but look a nice way to remember her and Sean look yeah. at to your family to all your family continued good health and good luck to everyone else and we're going to play out with this and hopefully it brings back and nice nice memories Sean thank you. This is Caledonia and Dolores thank Keane. Thank you so much sir. Ending this program with Sean Boylan. Thank you Sean.
1: Des Island Discs
0: on RTÉ Radio 1.